This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's crack a everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new Hunt Stand podcast episode, Field Note Fridays, powered by Moose Utility Division, your brand for all seasons. Before we get to today's episode... I just want to wish all of y'all out there a very happy Thanksgiving, and hopefully you were able to enjoy time with family and friends yesterday and stuff your bellies with some magnificent turkey. And if you haven't yet, hopefully you're either doing that today or over the course of the next few days with family and friends. Before we get to today's topic, just want to let y'all know it is Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming up as well. And between now through December 1st, you can save 50% off any HuntStand tier, so that's HuntStand Pro or HuntStand Pro Whitetail, you get to save 50% off now through December 1st. I'm going to drop the link down in the podcast description below. So if y'all want to save, head to that link now. And of course, if you haven't yet, make sure you got the HuntStand app downloaded. We got free. And of course, just like you heard me say, we have Pro and Pro Whitetail. If you want to unlock all the features, upgrade to Pro Whitetail and save yourself 50% now through December 1st, y'all. So what we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks, I've got a nice little series for all of y'all out there. Whitetail season is going to be coming to an end in the near future, sadly. But we have turkey to look forward to. And some of y'all may have bagged a buck. You're still trying to put a buck in the truck. Or you got another target out there that you're going after. And so we're going to get Mr. Pat Reeve from Driven Hunter on here to talk about some late season whitetail tips, tactics, strategies, and how he likes to approach this time of year. As you're going to find out, hunting the late season, it's not just a late season thing. There's there's some things you have to do throughout the year to get prepared for what is right in front of us. You know, we've got lots of cold fronts coming in, Christmas time, December. There's some seasons still going on in January. And there's still plenty of opportunities to put a big buck on the ground, and we're going to pick Pat's brain on how to do that. So I'm not going to get into it too much. Again, y'all just want to thank y'all for tuning in the Hunt Stand Podcast. Make sure, rate, and review for us. Really appreciate it. And like on Spotify, you can do some Q&A stuff now. If you got questions, I've got answers. So make sure you hit up that below. 
rate, review. Thanks for all the support, y'all. I'm going to quit talking, and let's get right to it with Pat Reeve. Uh, well, man, we're going to get into today's topic. You ready to get going on it? Yeah. Well, yeah, we you know, I'll just swing it, but I think we can do that. <laughs> I think you can do it. I, I, I think you can do it. So, I mean, what this podcast is going to be over the next five weeks, we're going to break this up into a mini series of late season whitetail strategies. You know, most parts of the country, a lot of guys have already seen the peak of the rut. Some of them are just now starting to see it and some are on the backside of it, but I want to get into some of those late season topics and just kind of pick your brain and how you like to approach pretty much the tail end of the season. You know, mm-hmm. for we're we're recording this, you know, right around Thanksgiving, but this is going to go out <coughs> post Thanksgiving for all those guys and gals out there still hunting. Yep. So, uh, but before we do that, Pat, what I like to do is I like to get the podcast started by you kind of giving the listeners that what I call the thirty foot tree stand view, just. Tell them about yourself real quick before we get into it. Oh, boy. <laughs> it may take more than 30 seconds. You know yeah, what? It's okay. Yeah. yeah um, you know, my kids think I'm an old man by by all standards right now. And uh, I uh, I always get the question at the, uh, at the consumer shows, you know, man, how did you get into this? You know, what, what got you started, you know? how could I get into it type of thing? And I guess when I look back, I mean, it was timing for, for me um, when I first got into the the hunting industry and I kind of fell into it backwards. You know, I I went to school for a criminal justice degree, graduated in college, uh, Mankato state university for, for criminal justice. And Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a game warden (laughs) (laughs) and, and I, I got to work, uh, with the, with the department of natural resources here in Minnesota, um, for a period of time, I did an internship with the enforcement people. And, uh, I soon learned that, man, I don't know if I want to necessarily do this because I like hunting too much and game more is just chase hunters. You know, they, they don't get to hunt as much as, as I was, you know, wanting to. And, uh, but back then, you know, this is in the, in the late eighties, um, you know, you would go to your guidance counselor and he would say, Hey man, uh, you know, you look on the list and tell me what you want to go to school for and what you want to do for an occupation for the rest of your life. And there just, there wasn't being an outdoor television host or personality on that list. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, you got to, you had to choose, uh, you had to go in and choose an occupation that kind of had a, a college curriculum with it. And, so that's why I went to school to be a game warden, um, because that sounded the most appealing to me. Yeah, I didn't really want to go, you know, into forestry or something like that and just deal with trees. So, um, but thank God for affirmative action. It kind of kept me out of that space because, uh, you know, when I got done with school, um, there just wasn't any positions open. So I was doing anything I could to just stay out there in the outdoors and and get paid to do something mm-hmm. that everybody loves to do right I, I did some taxonomy um and i i had followed kind of my 
hobby of taking you know photography and taking photos of of deer yeah um i was just doing that as as a fun gig and and right about that time period the video just started to kind of come into the world of um you know we could get up a, a consumer grade cameras so they were vhs cameras back then so we we're out there and we started dabbling with the vhs cameras and they were poor, really poor quality. Um, but um, we started making some videos. Uh, a good friend of mine, Tom Interval from Buffalo County, mm-hmm. him and I would go out and chase deer around and we'd make, you know, deer drives and we'd, we could shine. Of course, we could shine legally back then. So we would go out at night and just film deer with the spotlights and, and just try to get as many big bucks on camera. And eventually Tom made a video series called monarch valley legend lane and monster alley and uh that video series really kind of took off and um so we uh we were starting to make a little bit of money at that doing stuff like that and i was selling my my uh prints that i was taking of big deer yeah and uh Long story short, a guy named Miles Keller, who you might have heard of, might not have heard of, but he's a legend in the in the bow hunting world. Yeah. One of the old school guys. He contacted me and and uh, said, "Man, would you be interested in going on a, a hunt with me and filming the hunt in Canada?" And I was like, "Absolutely." So I did that, and just one thing led to another, and I started doing more freelance work, and um, eventually I landed a full time producing position with hunter specialties out of cedar rapids iowa really yeah back then cedar you know hunter specialties was the biggest outdoor company in the business yeah so um yeah i got to drive a big yellow truck that said hunter specialties around the country i i didn't do just camera work i did uh we did pro staff we did you know in-store promotions did a lot of other things besides that but i i was really primarily hired to do a lot of the production mm-hmm. stuff and um eventually got into a producing role where i was helping put together uh the video series that hunter specialties uh was known for and they sold a large volume of these vhs tapes at walmart and uh it was called primetime bucks as their their big series and of yeah. course they had um you know, turkey videos and they had uh, waterfall instructional videos and they had, you know, predator videos. They had all kinds of different videos. So I did a lot of that, uh, a lot of that work back in the day. And I got to hunt with some iconic figures in the business. I mean, I, I hunted with Bob Folkrod. He was, a, an, you know, in my mind, one of the best hunters I've ever been around. Just ice in his veins like michael jordan you know i mean (laughs) when it comes to the shot he can make it and i hunted with eddie salter and i just stan potts greg miller yeah a lot of guys got a lot of guys that were really known as as whitetail killers Mm -hmm. and uh you know i learned their strategies and their hunting techniques and 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 what made them successful and um you know, it might, uh, it definitely helped me become a better hunter for sure. And of course, running the camera, I've always said, you know, running the camera, um, has made me a better hunter because it, 
you know, a cameraman has to have it together. Yes. You know, at the, at the beginning, when you see the animal through the, the entire scene, you know, during the kill scene and then after, so, you know, you got to be calm, cool, and collected running that camera. And of course that, that transitions over into be just in the hunting side, you, you know, the hunter always said just has to have it together at the time of the, the shot to make a good shot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as a cameraman, you, you have to have your nerves uh, collected and you have yeah, to you be do. calm, cool and, and, uh, to get the great footage, you know, that hasn't got all the shake and bobble to it. So, yeah, I did that for a number of years into the, the, I guess it was the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I left hunter specialties, um, under good graces. And I went and started, uh, a new production called North American whitetail television. Yeah. And, you know, back then North American whitetail was the hunting Bible, you know, the, oh, the yeah. magazine, you know, we all, you know, all the, I shouldn't, I don't want to sound like I'm dating myself, but everybody <laughs> would go to the newsstand and, and or subscribe to get, mm-hmm every monthly issue because that really profiled the largest white tails killed around the world and uh you know being a part of that really set the bar for me and of course uh greg and and stan both uh came along as hosts to that program and um i was a producer and you know really got that thing launched and and going in the right direction of course we just hunted we just hunted strictly whitetails. We didn't hunt, you know, anything else on the yeah. program. So I was focused really on whitetails and, um, and we hunted them, you know, all over the country. And, um, I got to, you know, go to some great places, see some, some cool things, you know, got to hunt whitetails in areas that I hadn't had a chance to hunt back in the days with hunter specialty. So, um, yeah, I gave kind of opened the doors for me. And I did that for a, a period of years, um, yeah, for three years. And then uh, basically the rug got kind of pulled out from underneath me and they let me go. And uh, that was a, that was a real turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it sucked because, you know, my dream job um, doing what I love to do was all of a sudden gone. And man, that, you know, and I had, you know, several children. I had, I think, three kids at that period of time and, and one on the way. And, man, I thought the world was coming to an end. And <clears throat> so I had to really make a, a decision in my life because I was at that crossroads, like, what am I going to do here? Yeah. You know, am I going to continue to try to do, you know, what I've done in the past? Because I built my name and reputation as being one of the best videographers out there. Yeah. And, you know, that, um, I didn't know at that period and that when that happened, if I wanted to continue doing what I did, because it is kind of like, you know, if you help somebody build a brand and then they can just get rid of you as fast as North American whitetail did that, you know, that I didn't know if I wanted to do that again and pour all the time and effort into it. So I did know that I, I love doing what I have always done and filming and, and being part of the production side of it. So I called some of my contacts in the business, mm-hmm. um, like a Matthews was like first on my list. And I said, would you guys support me if, uh, 
if I went on my own and did my own gig. And, you know, right, right about that time period, TV was really kicking in and, um, and television was come hunting. Television was becoming very popular and ratings were really skyrocketing. And they said, absolutely. You know, we've, supported you, you know, in the hunter specialties days through North American whitetail, we've seen your work. We know your passion. We would support you to do your own gig. So I went out in 2004 and jumped in the water, not knowing how to swim and just said, heck with it. I'm going to go do my own deal and, and start my own production. And, uh, I called it, I named it driven 24 seven because that it best represented who I was and, and what I stood for and, uh, and got, you know, started my own television program with some support of some um, national partners like the Matthews of the world. Some of them that I'm still with today. Yeah. Right? And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that got me going and I went and borrowed. It was funny because I walked in, I had to go, I didn't have any money, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we were living on ramen noodles and crackers and uh my wife just had a part-time job and anyways we uh i went to the bank and i said i need you to i need you to borrow me seven thousand bucks and they said well, what for and i said well i want to buy this camera and they said well aren't you working for this company i said no i'm self-employed now <laughs> and she says well why do i need to borrow you this money i said because you borrowed me money since i've been a kid and uh she's like good point you've always paid us so she borrowed me seven grand i bought a used camera on ebay Mm-hmm. And that camera, if you come to our office or our production office, it's Mona, it's on top of the trophy display cabinet and represents, you know, the hardships of, of getting there. You know, back then it was a, a DV cam, you know, t- a tape based camera. Yeah. So, yeah. um, has no value today outside of being an antique, but, uh, <laughs> um, it, uh, you know, and, and, after that point, I mean, I just hit the ground running and, um, Nicole, uh, came into my life, uh, three or four years later and started in 2007, I believe. And, uh, um, we, uh, started hunting together, of course, filming and, uh, got married in 2012 and we've been doing it ever since. And, you know, it's been quite a ride. Uh, I know that's a longer version than you yeah. wanted, but, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just, I'm a, always been the same person, you know, off camera that I'm on and uh, love just hunting. And I live in a, um, you know, we're blessed because we live in the part of the world that has great whitetail hunting. You know, I'm right on the southeastern Minnesota, I'm in southeastern Minnesota, right on the Mississippi, uh, right on the Wisconsin, kind of Iowa border. So yeah. I can... I can hunt a lot of different uh, states, um, you know, that's fairly close for traveling purposes. So, you know, it gives me a lot of options. And uh, although white Minnesota hunting is not as good as other states, um, it still does offer some good opportunity. Dude, your story, man, that's incredible. Uh, just listening to you talk about through everything and the hardships and then uh, just getting to that point where, like you said, the rug got pulled out from underneath you and, a lot of times it's it's things like that that you hear about in success stories like these that just it's that pivotal moment like you talked about like that crossroads that it's like hey you either got to leap or get off 
you know what I'm saying? And you took a leap and look at where you are now, man. <laughs> I don't know if I'm any further ahead there than I was that day that I took that leap, but no, I mean, it, it's, it's provided a, a great um, career over the years. I mean, we're, we're in our 20th season of driven right now. Um, and it's funny because the other day, the outdoor channel asked me to review some of my top, top shows that I've ever produced. And they sent me this list and I'm like, I looked at this list and I'm like, what in, what in the world is all these programs doing on here on this list that I don't even recognize. And they like, Pat, those are all the shows that you've done over the years. <laughs> like, I didn't even recognize the titles. And uh, although I probably would remember the hunts, it was the titles and stuff from year to year because we produce 18 originals per year. And, wow. uh, you know, in, in the TV world, that's a lot of content. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been on, you know, we're a 52 week show. So we've been doing it for a long time. And I, I have a very extensive library of footage some of it being, um, you know, tape based as well, but, uh, yeah. you know, it's going to actually really, I think it's very beneficial for us nowadays because we're now in a digital world mm -hmm. and we're doing a lot of YouTube stuff. And I have a massive library that I can pull a lot of different content, whether, you know, if it's a buck snort wheezing or it's an elk bugling or, you know, anything, um, that is in the library. Heck yeah. That's man. Cause like you said, today's digital world, people eat that stuff up and they love it. They absolutely love it. Well, right. man, because of your background and just the knowledge and everybody you've gotten to hunt with, I'm eager to pick your brain on some of these late season whitetail strategies. And you know, for the, for the sake of the series, you know, this is going to be for our field note Fridays and this is going to be a five week series. So it's going to be posted on Fridays. And so, you know, we're, we're spitballing this man. And I, I want to know just kind of off the top of your head, what are five of those strategies would you say that guys and gals should focus on? You know, when you're looking at, is it late season behavior? Is it finding the does? Is it food? Um, you know, are you watching the barometric pressure? How would you divvy up this into five topics essentially? Yeah, uh, that's that's funny because we're we're facing late season right now as yeah. we talk. But uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess late season, you know, first off, is probably one of my favorite times to hunt in the entire you know period Same. Uh, of of the hunting season. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think it's you know honestly one of the best times to take a mature deer on a pattern, and uh, um, you know, a lot of people would pick the rut. And, but I've learned over the years that, it, you know, if you're after one particular deer, um, that rut period can be really uh, frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I live in a world that has a lot of acorns. So we have the October low period, which is really basically an acorn, uh, feeding pattern. Yeah. Um, that really keeps the deer in the timber with, little or no movement. Um, but I love hunting deer late season because it's, you know, generally in Minnesota here, it's cold, it's snowy. And, um, you, you know, you really got to play this chess match with them to, 
to get a big mature buck, a target buck in front of you, uh, especially within bow range. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's ways that we have learned to, uh, you know, basically manipulate the the deer to where we want them um during that period of time and uh yeah i've i guess you know if i had to pick out the the primary thing that really makes us successful in late late season and and i'd say we're probably more successful in late season than we are any other time um because we spend a massive amount of time in the field during that period. Yeah. Uh, but it would be number one hunting food sources. Yeah. And uh, we have learned over the years to become, uh, you know, great farmers. <laughs> um, Absolutely. We have, it, it really doesn't start during the late season period. It really starts um, in the spring when it mm -hmm. comes to planning you know, the, the food that will be the primary food source for late season. And, you know, so what we're, we're planning here is a, a variety of different things. And, and uh, I'll explain that here in just a second, but um, in our country, we're planting corn, soybeans, and we provide them a green food source as well. And our deer, when it gets about anything generally below freezing, but I always say 22 degrees is a magical number. It seems like anything, when it gets colder than 22, um, the deer are forced to feed. They, 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 uh, they're burning energy during um, the day period and we're hunting them in an evening hunting situation. Not that a morning hunting situation can, can be beneficial, but Primarily, it's all evening hunting uh, opportunities, and I'll explain why uh, in just a second, but we're hunting them in the evening, letting the deer come to us naturally, feed in the food source, and we're set up on them. Yeah. And um, we're always trying to keep our, our, our hunting locations or our, um, our hunting uh, spots fairly non-pressured, um, so they're always fresh. And, um, there's, there's ways that we do that, but we're hunting food sources and, um, you know, we're paying attention to a lot of different factors. Like you just mentioned, um, you know, we're, we're paying attention to high pressure systems that are moving in. We pay extremely amount of attention. Like, you know, we're going out tonight, Nicole's hunting, a a, a buck that's on a food, a, uh, a food source. And, uh, He's still actually bumping does. So we're kind of hunting the doe groups right now mm -hmm. um, because the rut is still in here in Minnesota, but um, he's still coming in, checking the does. Um, we're set up over water. Water is a big thing for us as well. Yeah. Late season. And I'll explain that here. We'll talk about water because yeah, I had to hunt a ton of water, um, but we're set up on that buck tonight in an evening hunting situation, but we're, we're playing the wind. And, uh, we, you know, people ask us all the time, Hey, do you, do you, uh, you, you know, what's your regimen for staying scent free? Do you believe in that stuff? I'm like, every little thing helps. I don't care, you know, what it is. If, you know, in the, in the old days, people that lived here in Minnesota, they were farmers, they would get on milk and they would go sit in the, in the woods and, 
and they're like, man, I always seen tons of bucks and tons of deer and stuff and never got winded. I'm like, yeah, it's because you smell like a, a barn. <laughs> and uh, it was a good cover scent, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, we we do pay a lot of attention to to the wind here um, when we hunt those evening, late season food sources because we always want to try to keep all the wind in our face and not try to get deer behind us. Because if you get one, you know, one deer behind you that gets jiggy and starts blowing or stomping or acting nervous, it a lot of times clear the field. And the first deer that generally leaves is the buck that you're after because yeah. he's smart. He, he, he thinks something's up and um, he don't put up with anything. So um, you know, when we set these spots up, um, and, and, you know, develop these areas, these food source areas where we're putting the blind, the water hole, everything kind of goes together. And we're always thinking about hunting, uh, with the, the wind in our favor. And, um, you know, we're still, we still go in there and we use, uh, you know, scent elimination products, Hunter, especially scent away spray. I mean, we, we stay as scent free as possible. We use, you know, we use uh, the uh, ion machines um, and we, uh, you know, put those in our blinds to help, you know, um, take care of our scent issues. If we, if, we, if there is any, cause I mean, you got camera equipment and you got a lot of other equipment outside of just your hunting hunting equipment yeah. so um we're still trying to be as scent free as possible but uh you know the long and short of it is we're we're trying to uh you know get all these deer in front of you and generally there's the last one that enters the field is is the buck you're after right mm -hmm. he's generally one of the latter deer that come in just because of his human or his deer nature right so he you know he'll come in and uh you got to beat all the does and the fawns eyes and noses before you see see that target buck so um those food sources are are very important yeah i mean absolutely and up in your neck of the woods i know people that might be in the part of the country like I am in Texas, you know, obviously we have feeders and, and there might be some food plots and stuff like that. We don't deal with near the level of cold snow and ice. So yep. the food sources you're dealing with is a lot of cut corn. Are there corn fields that are, have been left up that they're now just eating on the ears of corn? Like you, you talked on soybeans, corn, uh, a couple other things. What's the primary focus when you've got all that cold snow and ice? Yeah. So you know, when we get the cold snap, the wet, you know, there's a couple factors here. Um, when you get cold temps, mm -hmm. that, that really helps, but having something to cover the snow, to cover up that natural food sources, whether it's the acorns that are still out there on the ground or, uh, you know, any residual crop that, uh, was mm -hmm. combined that might be laying on the ground stuff. You need that snow to cover up that those additional uh food sources so it really concentrates the deer to your plots yeah and <clears throat> our primary plots that we hunt over is not really corn so much as it's soybeans mm -hmm. we uh because so you know you can get 
our soybeans are, you know, generally, uh, they're knee high and, uh, those pods are generally sitting above the snow line. So the deer don't have to dig through the snow because it isn't that deep yet. Um, but they can eat those pod, those soybeans right off the pods and they're still above the snow line. Um, but again, the, the snow cover is covering up any natural food sources, pushing them. It's just a colder environment too. It's like being in a big cooler. Yeah. You know, once you get snow on the ground, it cools. Everything is cold. Deer use more energy. Um, they don't want to dig for food and expend energy doing that. So mm -hmm. they go to those easy food sources, which is our plots. And uh, soybeans has generally become our our magnet plot now that can change you know for sure um but uh if you you came to my house right now i could take you out and every single primary food plot that we have out there has soybeans in it as well as a green food source might have corn uh as a screen around the uh outside perimeter um, which becomes an additional food source when they're done with a lot of times they'll, they'll eat some soybeans and then they'll kind of go into the corn. Mm -hmm. Um, but I use corn as a screen, uh, as well to kind of enclose my plots, make them a little more private and more, um, seclusive, uh, making the deer feel a little bit more, uh, not in the, in the open as much, yeah. but, um, uh, we do miscanthus grass too, giant miscanthus grass, and we plant that as a screen barrier as well. But uh, those soybean plots, you know, have become just killer because we're putting them in areas like um, that is close to the bedding area where the deer don't have a long travel uh, period to, to come off of the bed and then come into the plot. So we're getting them during day getting them there before it gets dark and during daylight hours. Um, and we're also paying attention to, of course, stand approach and trying to be vigil on not tipping off a deer that's in a bedding area that we're approaching and getting into that stand. That's kind of, that's kind of a key, key point that I'd like to make is when you're setting these spots up, you know, we're, again, we're putting them in areas that we can slip in undetected because if, if they don't know you're hunting them, you're just going to see a tremendous amount of more deer than you are. If you're trying to, if, if they kind of hear you or see you coming, even if you're getting in early, um, man, a big deer just don't put up with it. So we're really trying to stay undetected. And, uh, you know, we use, of course we're in the bluff country. So we use the topography, the land to, you know, act, get access into those spots and kind of keep a hill between us, mm -hmm. keep uh, out of a visual sighting or, um, or, or sound as well. Cause <clears throat> in a late season can be super tricky because, you know, when you get snow on the ground, it's crunchy, especially if it gets any, any rain on top of it, it gets icy. It can be, honestly, it can kill your hunt just yeah. by trying to get into your stand. And of course, if you're hunting a tree stand, it's even worse because you're climbing up a ladder generally, or, and you're make, you know, you just make a noise getting in because everything mm -hmm. is squeaking, popping and, and, uh, sit, you know, just enduring the elements in a tree stand during late season can be 
a very tough, tough hunt. Yes. So we we're hunting a lot more, <clears throat> a lot more blinds. We use muddy blinds. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, those have really changed the, our, our hunting repertoire. I mean, they really have made us a lot. We sit there longer. Um, you know, they help control your scent. His blinds have really become uh, a mainstay for a lot of, you know, serious whitetail hunters. Yes. And, and, uh, it's really changed the dynamics, I think of late season hunting. So, um, you know, and we can talk about that some more. Um, but we have really, we, all my plots have blinds on them as well as tree stands. Mm -hmm. So I have, um, and sometimes even two blinds for different wind situations, but, um, these, these winter plots, um, have been, they've just kind of really, really made us more successful over the last several years here, just the way we hunt them and, and, uh, versus the old days. All right, y'all, there is an end to part one of our late season whitetail tips, tactics, strategies with Pat Reeve. We'll be getting into it again next week, but before we end today's episode, again, y'all, if you want to save 50% off on HuntStand Pro or Pro Whitetail, head down to the link down in the description below. You can save 50% now through December 1st. You do not want to miss out on that. So thanks again, y'all, for tuning in this week's episode, HuntStand Podcast, Field Note Fridays, powered by Moose Utility Division, and we'll see you on the next one.